0: What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. What does it mean to be a discipled leader? That's what we're gonna talk about on episode 180. Of this podcast, Lynch with a Leader. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the spaces and places that God has put us. I don't know your journey, but I'll tell you the journey of this podcast. The journey of this podcast and sort of the genesis of this podcast is all about spiritual leadership and helping leaders just like you who are out in the workforce, out in the workplace, in athletics, in business, in government, in academics, helping you be the leader that God created you to be. And to do that, being a discipled leader is everything. And boy, our guest today, Preston Poor, does an amazing job unpacking what that means. Whether it was his work with Coca-Cola for many years or the Hershey Company or Dale Carnegie training or his his work he does now in coaching and leading and developing, Preston has has written a book on this, but even more it just comes out of who he is. You know, it's amazing. Sometimes we know names like John Gordon and Joby Martin, but we may not know leaders like Preston poor and they're out there. They're all over America. And through an amazing group here in Atlanta voices to connect, I was able to connect with Preston and lean into his wisdom, lean into his work. And I believe I got better for it. And I think you'll be better for it too. So I don't know where you're listening from today, but I want you to do me a favor and I want you to pull up a chair and listen to my conversation with Preston Poor. Well, Preston, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It is an honor to have you.
1: Thanks, Mike. Glad to be here.
0: Well, I love what you're doing and I love, we had a great conversation before we got on this morning about this new season of life for you. Tell me about, your spiritual roots, and where this whole spiritual journey for you even began?
1: Yeah, uh, thanks for the question, Mike, and an honor to be with you and and, uh, and with the listeners this morning. Uh, my spiritual journey started when I was in, uh, in between seventh and eighth grade, actually, so 40-something years ago. And uh, I was invited by a friend named Brian in, in junior high to come to a youth group there in Fort Collins, Colorado, where I grew up. And uh, I remember going with a t shirt. I was going to be kind of a rebel. I'm going to a church. I have a Grateful Dead type t shirt on and, you know, kind of give them the, the fist kind of thing. And, uh, but then I heard the gospel and I saw how these mm-hmm. people interacted with one another. And uh, I remember uh, just raising my hand one day and praying that prayer uh, and, and putting my faith in the Lord and, and surrendering my life to Him at a young, young age. Uh, fast forward, let's fast forward way then. So that was 1980. And let's go, let's go 25 years advance in 2005. Now, remember I told you I surrendered my life in 1980. I didn't surrender my career to the Lord in two, to, until 2005. There was a, a breaking point, a tipping point for me then, a lot of tough circumstances at work. And we can talk about that a little bit yeah. later if you'd like to, or if you can, however you want to do that. But uh, there was a tipping point there for me where I realized that I was living life under my own power. Mm-hmm. I was not actually surrendered to the Lord uh you know um was I reading the Bible sure was I uh being a good father and a good dad I, I- maybe think so, probably not as good as I probably could have been. Was I doing okay at work? Eh, not not as well as I wanted to be. So uh, I think I was living life under my own power, my own authority. And at that tipping point, that breaking point that happened to me where I surrendered everything to Lord, I had, had people quit on me at work. Uh, I had some tough circumstances. And I finally just got to the end of my rope and I said, Lord, I I don't get what's going on. You've you put this leadership bent in me and I'm, I'm screwing it up. Mm. And uh I said, hey, I, I can't do this on my own. So uh I give all of this to you. I'm gonna surrender my career, my job. Not sure where you're gonna take this. And uh man, I tell you what, uh, Mike, from that point on, uh it wasn't it wasn't a microwave moment. It didn't just a light switch didn't happen. But it's kind of like a, I likened it. And I talked to a former pastor of mine up in Knoxville, Tennessee. And uh Rick was telling me that sometimes when you get in those circumstances, it's like you have a football injury. Uh, or a baseball injury or whatnot, and it's kind of severe, maybe you've torn your ACL or something like that, but you have to get surgery and then go into rehab for a while before you get back out on the field. And uh, that's really what the Lord did with me during that time frame. And some people might say sanctification is the mm-hmm. theological term behind that and the process behind it. But he worked in me and through me and started doing some just incredible things. And, and now I'm on the other side of that and recently retired from the Coca-Cola company after a 20 plus year career. I uh, did a lot of great, exciting things there at the company and uh, felt very blessed and fortunate to be part of that. But now I'm on the other side and, and uh, enjoying life that way and, and trying to take the things that I learned and share not only uh, my faith, with people on the other side of that, but how actually you apply your faith in the workplace. I love that. And I want to, I want to dig
0: in a little bit on that 1980 to 2005, because during that time you were doing the right things and you were accomplishing things in career component things. As you begin to build your career, why does it make it even harder to come to a point of surrender? You know, I think surrender when we're 22 and we're just starting, but when you're in mid-career, you're in mid-stride building your life, why does surrender get even harder in our late 20s,
1: 30s, and 40s? It became about me. Uh, There were the accolades. I hate to say this. I tell people, if people have read uh, the five love languages, uh, by Gary Chapman, one of my love language or my love language is actually is words of affirmation. So if you give me words of affirmation, it puffs me up. Uh, I, I pursued the awards, hit the uh, the goals, did all those things, and uh, from a re- from a performance perspective, I was nailing it. To mm-hmm. Be quite frank with you. Uh, when I was with Hershey Foods, won a couple of national awards. When I was with Coke, uh, won awards, recognition, and all different things around that. Being promoted, salary being bumped up, I'm like, yeah, things are going well. But Mike, there was an incongruence in me, an incongruence, this tension between who I was on Sunday and who I was the rest of the week. And, you know, I talked to my wife, Carla, who I've, I've been blessed. and I, I, I out kicked my coverage, if you will, yep. uh, on that. And uh, she, she told me one day, she goes, Preston, I don't know why you're struggling at work. If you just treated people at work, the way you treat us here at home, you'd be fine. And that was kind of light bulb that went off. I, I was like, why, why do I not Care about people. It's not that I didn't care about people. I just didn't know how to. And so that was an eye-opening moment for me. And so you asked the question, Mike. Why is surrender so hard? Uh, it's because I think when you start to taste success and you start to think about that, it, that it's something that you are creating, you are generating. And don't get me wrong. There are plenty of successful people out there, but it's just something personally that the Lord did in me, saying, "Hey, this isn't what it's all about." Mm-hmm. And uh, I got further and further and further away from Him. And it's kind of like I lost my first love. Mm. I was so focused on performance. I shared this uh, Tuesday morning when I was at a fundraiser event in Nashville. And I felt like my relationship during that time frame was more like a, uh, uh, an employee that was waiting on his manager to come in and give me a performance appraisal and drop the hammer. And so I was always trying to do what I could stay in front of things. And always felt like if I performed well, not only spiritually, and but also at work, then uh, I would be okay. And, I learned that that's not enough. Mm. It would never be enough. And so that's where the surrender came in and and the breaking through circumstances. And like I just explained, and and that's where I just bowed and said, Hey, (laughs) Lord, this, this is yours.
0: Yeah. So how long, I know you said it wasn't a light bulb moment. It wasn't a, Oh yeah, tomorrow, everything's okay. Was there somebody you saw in the marketplace that you went, that's what I want to be. That is a picture of how I want my life to look. Or do you say, man, I just had to learn it as I went and felt sort of felt like I was alone sometimes.
1: Yeah. So there was a little bit of a wilderness type uh, time as you go through that. But uh, uh, again, I use the word tipping point. A milestone in my life was getting involved in a group called CLC. It's called Christ Led Communities. Now it used to be called Christian Leadership Concepts yep. started by Hal Haddon out of Nashville and a guy named Di- David Coney. I was my facilitator and that was about 2008. So remember I told you I surrendered my career to God in 2005. Uh it wasn't until 2008 when I actually got involved in a two-year uh, uh really in-depth discipleship program that showed me first how what it looks like to be a man after God's own heart. Mm. And then once you're pursuing him and he in relationship and fellowship and friendship with the Lord then those things like business leadership, everything else flows after that. So uh, that was a transformational piece for me. Uh, I shared on Tuesday too. Uh, it's kind of funny, Mike. If uh, hopefully your listeners might have listened or read to the book, read the book. I'm sorry, Good to Great. Yeah. If you've read that book, Good to Great by Jim Collins, uh, Jim and his students. The idea here is that uh, how, how did organizations experience extraordinary results after they had floated along under hum hum, uh, hum ho. Uh, average results, if you will. And that black box in there, they studied, they said leaders had a transformation and then something happened in them, and then the organization transform, mm. transformed and took off uh, on that. And I, I told the group on Tuesday, you know, what does that black box have to do with our spiritual lives? Well, for me, it had everything to do with that. And Jim Collins said it's a little bit of a mystery. He didn't tell people about how to transform uh, the 10 steps of transformation. He just observed that it happened. And I told the crowd, hey, it's not a mystery that if we yep. surrender our lives to Christ, uh, he will work in us and through us. He's going to shape that Christ-like character and then put us in places of influence where we can shape the world on his behalf. And uh, so that was a, that 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 strip between 2005, five, two thousand eight through 10, 11. Then we got transferred to Atlanta from Knoxville. Uh, and and that's a whole nother ball of wax. The last thing I'd end with is this on this point uh, is this. If you worked with Preston poor for the first 10 years at Coca-Cola, if you worked with me, Dan, you'd probably say I was a jerk.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Quite frank. I, I was, I was, uh, didn't care about what was in my wake, more cared about performance, my promotion. Uh, if you worked for me, it, it uh, yeah, I was trying to make you more like me. Mm. Uh, through that black box, that second ten years, uh, I would hope, I would hope that people would say that uh, that I was a, a, a instead of a burden to work with, I was a blessing to mm. work with. And why is that? It's because I leaned in and 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 loved people. Uh, it doesn't mean I was hugging them all the time and and uh, all that kind of stuff, but I was I was encouraging them, helping them achieve their goals, uh, helping to develop them helping them to succeed, and then ultimately the team succeeded. So uh, it was really just a heart. People talk about mindset. Uh, It was a heart set, heart change that took place in me. Aren't you glad
0: you did that, though? How much different would you feel now stepping out of your career to begin to launch a new career in your mid-50s? How much different would you feel if you went, yeah, I wish I could go back to the last 10? and redo them, and you didn't get a chance to transform that. I wonder how differently you'd feel right now about what you're setting out to do.
1: Um, you know, I some people, I've asked people these questions, if you had to do it all over again, what, what would you do differently? And uh, I would certainly do a lot of things differently, but I do believe in God's providence. Uh, it's one of the things I learned when I read Oswald Chambers, my utmost for yeah. his highest, and he believes that God engineers all circumstances, And I think there was a reason I went through all of that because I'm on the other side now and I can talk about a transformation. Uh, I can talk to the fact that uh, I I never really had a role model at work. The role models I had were actually at church and CLC and what they helped me do is to come back and how do I apply that faith at work? Uh, Barna did a study, Mike, I don't know if you're aware of this, it's called Christians at Work. And uh, they found that they did a study They had about 1500 people that they surveyed and, and believers, their faith mattered to them on some level. And they asked them about uh, living out their faith in the work, workplace, and they put them into three buckets. And uh, 28% they found were, quote unquote, integrators, meaning that they were living out their faith. They were a redemptive uh, influence in the workplace. Uh, they were satisfied personally, professionally. They were using their talents to glorify God and, and their skills and talents and abilities. That means the other 72% mm-hmm. weren't uh, and don't know how to do that. And so I don't think it's, I, I think it's very common very common not to have a spiritual role model in the workplace uh why is that I don't know we can talk about that a little bit I I, I scratch my head sometimes uh, on it I can tell you my perspective but I think sometimes it has to do with uh, uh shame uh feeling feeling embarrassed uh feeling like you know my faith is not valuable in the workplace how will people react around me how will they treat me differently um, and so I, I think there's a lot of different pieces that play into that about why people don't do that. But I do want to mention that. I'll, I'll, we'll go, I'll be quiet here in just a second, but I think this is so important to make this point, is that discipleship, becoming like Christ and being a disciple of Christ, that's the beginning point uh, for these things. And so that's 72%. You have to build up and shore up or disciple them, and then give them a positive role model that will model the way in the workplace And then once that happens, then they can go in and influence uh, in the workplace around them.
0: You know, and I told you this before we started, this is the whole point of this podcast is for people to see God put me where he put me. He put me in the spaces and places he did for a reason bigger than me. What do you think could happen if people got it? If people went Am I qualified? Well, probably not. Will I ever know enough? Probably not. Will there ever be a perfect time? Probably not. But God thinks I can. He's equipped me and I can do this. What do you think could change in the marketplace and in our world if that 72% who say they have a faith, and they they have something behind it. What do you think could change if they begin to live that out?
1: Uh, I would. Well, I think that you would have people that would be live more fulfilled, personal and professional lives. They really would, uh, if they go down this path. I, you know, it's kind of funny if you look at a, a, a statistics, a bell curve, and I always talk about tight to the right. Imagine if you had that twenty eight percent there were integrators in the faith, and just move that to twenty nine or thirty.
0: Mm, mm, mm.
1: That would have an exponential impact in the workplace. And one thing I talk to Christian leaders about is this concept of engagement. Are you familiar with engagement? Uh, Decently, but probably not to the level you've got it. Yeah, I I was blessed with the opportunity to lead a couple of engagement teams at the Coca-Cola company. And engagement, the definition of business engagement is, and this is the operating definition I use, is the uh, discretionary effort somebody's willing to put forth based on their relationship with their direct manager and or the workplace. Mm. So that discretion effort is so so important, and so if you're a believer that you are leaning into people as a and with your direct people, and that you're encouraging them, building up, uh, building them up, helping them achieve things in their career, um, taking away the fear out of the workplace, uh, that creates people that will innovate. They'll take risks. Uh, they'll come up with great ideas. They'll be more productive. They'll be they'll be happier workers. Uh, It's funny. If you look at Gallup, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the Gallup polling organization, uh, but one of the things that they always talk about is the the level of engagement and the the polls tell us year after year that between 30 and 35% of people in the United States are engaged. That's That's it. Think about it. So again, you go back to a number that's 70% and actually 25% are right around there are actively disengaged meaning that they are ticked off about their boss and their work environment and they are trying to mess things up at work or they're this quote unquote, what's the popular phrase right now or uh, it was uh, quiet quitting. Yep. And what does that mean? That's just another translation that people have given up at work. They've lost morale. They've lost motivation. And I tie all that back to that manager employee relationship. So if you're a believer, if you're a believer and the Lord has changed in you, and working in you and through you and uh, you know the fruit of the holy spirit one of it talk about joy mm-hmm. if there's a joy mm-hmm. in your life that joy will spill over into other lives through maybe encouragement and I talk about that in the book, or how do you encourage people? What's the end result of that? Why do you do that? because you want to lift them up and feel great about what they're doing. Even if they're not a believer, you're still yep. a team member. The that, that human need to be encouraged to have hope out there. And I think that's something we can provide. And I think that's Lord working in us first and then through us in the workplace.
0: I totally agree with you. And this new book, everybody, Discipled Leader, is so good. And what I love about it is you've been on the inside of where everybody who's listening to this is. That you've you've been in the boardrooms, you've been in the meetings, you've been on the planes, you've been in the hotel rooms, you've worked alongside people that don't believe like you believe, but yet we're called to love and we're called to lead them. And you broke this disciple leader down into some really chewy categories. And that's what I, you know, it's it's very uh it's something that's easy to process and easy to go through. And you talked about seek. As a disciple, invest time with God. As a leader, seek God when making decisions. And you shared a great story about a job with a with a hunter that Carla didn't have a piece about and why that should have been a red flag to you. Your wife doesn't have a piece, but you sort of, you were old, Preston. You sort of plowed through it. Unpack that a little bit. It's a great story. Yeah, thanks.
1: Thanks. Uh, you know, I, I always had this, uh, the bent for developing others and public speaking and things like that, just kind of a gift and talent. And I got enamored with this guy, uh, over in Birmingham and wow, I, I tell you what, he was, a uh, he was all that I ever wanted to be. He had his own radio show. He, uh, owned a training organization in that city. Uh, I w- went to work from him, uh, for him. The fun thing is this, is that I went through the course, a sales course with him. So he was my mentor through that. And uh, there was a transformation for me. I was probably the worst salesperson at uh, Ralston Purina before I took that. And then I got off the rank selling dog food, which was all fun. But uh, I got through that. And and this individual helped me reach my potential and helped me succeed. And then he actually asked me to come work for him. And, uh, you know, he he had the car, he had the country club membership, uh, all the things, the worldly things that you would aspire to. And I just, I was attracted to it, to be quite frank with you. And, uh, I remember the night sitting on top of the Harbor Plaza, which is a, one of the bigger buildings in Birmingham. It's the uh, top of the bank up there. And he was whining and he and his wife were whining and dining us. So I remember looking out over the skyline and say, Hey, drinking a glass of wine. And, and it's nice steak, you know, people around me, everybody's dressed up eh, feel good about that. This is what I want. I love this. And I'll never forget getting down there. I was ready to go. The guy was uh, making the offer and everything and got down in my car and I started telling Carla how excited I was, and she looked over at me and said, "Press, I don't think this is the right thing for us. I don't think you ought to do it." Well, I listened to her. No, I didn't. I did not listen to her at all, Mike. Uh, I, I, I had my own resolve. Again, I go back to uh, the the pre tipping point for me in my life, and I was uh, pursuing uh, that 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 gold that I found out didn't glitter. And, uh, uh, or was not gold. All that was this phrase. that says everything that it glitters is not gold type thing. Um, but ultimately what happened in that whole piece was I made a decision to go forth in that organization. I got ahead of God. I didn't, mm-hmm. was I doing quiet times and reading the Bible? Maybe my eyes were glancing over the word. Uh, was I praying about it? Yeah, yeah Lord, this is kind of what I want to do. I want your blessing on it. Uh, and I made the the choice to go. And, uh, you know what? Be honest with you, that. That first year, Mike, we were rocking and rolling. I came in on a salary bonus commission. I was all over the city of Birmingham, making talks, speeches, enrolling people in courses, profile, uh, going up, people getting to know who I was. It felt good. felt good. Uh, and then all of a sudden, the bottom fell out. I, mm-hmm. I share in the book, there was this time where the, what I call my black October, if people are familiar with 1987, when the stock market went down, uh, people lost a lot of money. Uh, but, uh, my manager, uh, and the owner of the business, uh, the whole business, small business had a very rough couple of months. And so he took me off of that, uh, bonus salary and commission and put me on a draw. Mm. And I don't know if most people are familiar with what draws, there's nothing wrong with the draw for the right person, but I was with a, a young family and it was just a tough time. I struggled with that. And I was underwater for a long time. That put all kinds of pressures on there. And that was a breaking point for me. And again, I I keep getting into these situations where I'm like, okay, I'm in the foxhole foxhole now, God, help me. I'm in the foxhole now, God, help me. It's just these repetitive patterns uh, that I had going on on it. And it's because I I, I wasn't pursuing him. I was pursuing what I wanted. And so I, I detail that story in the book to say, hey, this is a bad decision. I made a series of bad decisions that led to uh, to where I was. But I did make one good decision in that. I surrendered. Mm. And I said, Lord, help me. I need your help on this. And he did. He was, he was faithful, uh, provided a way out, provided a way for my family. And that's where I started moving into consumer products, Ralston, Purina, Hershey, and then and then ending with Coca-Cola.
0: So you 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 take that scenario mm. and then you've just walked through a great change. You've walked away from a career to begin literally hang a new shingle and i'm gonna remake how did seek look different this time than it did last time as you stepped out into this new venture into this new unknown and you marched off the map how did you process things and seek wisdom differently
1: Yeah. So there's a few things I've done, uh, I think maybe differently. Uh, One is uh, (laughs) the Bible tells us to pray for wisdom. Mm. And uh, so I prayed for wisdom and wisdom uh, really is just knowledge and experience combined with judgment, good judgment and the application of those things. And uh, so I I really was pursuing God and I started this, this off ramp, this off ramp after leaving Coca-Cola, which I just left here recently, about five or six years ago, I, I used my discretionary time to figure out, okay, what does this look like? How do I develop other talents? My well, the current talent, skills, and abilities, but other things like how do you publish a book? How do you do a podcast? How do you write blogs? How do you set up a website? How do you build a platform? Man, that was that's my first rodeo on all that stuff. Uh, but there were there were fun things. One of the attributes I loved at the Coca-Cola Company said one, that they wanted everybody to have was to be curious. Mm. And so uh, I took that, and I was curious about a lot of things to help that. But in seeking. Mike, it was this intentional, I don't want to get in front of God. I don't. Mm, mm. I don't want to get in front of God. Uh, now, was I perfect at that? Perfect at that? Absolutely not. I'll give you a quick story. Uh, my book, it took me 10 years to write. I've been through two agents, three editors. I was rejected by uh, probably 30 different agents to take the book. Uh, 50 different publishing houses said no. And I was talking to my current agent and uh, I've been praying about my book. I said, Lord, why did you have me write this? Why why are we not getting published traditionally and all that? The agent calls and says, okay, I think we here's our next step. Let's go with a, a hybrid publisher. And what that means is that you pay somebody to publish yep. your book for you, right? And then you do the marketing, but they'll get you out in the stores. It's, I, so for the uh, for the right person at the right time, somebody might need that. And a lot of people do it. Uh, it just ended up, I'll share with you why in here a second. It was not the right thing for me. So anyway, Mike, I, I, I go ahead and, and my uh, literary agent says, let's do this. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll pay the money. We did the interview with the company. I wrote the check, sent it in to him. Guess what happened on the next Monday? I got an email from my agent and it was a forward. And all that said in the email from my agent said, this throws a wrench in things. And down below that was my current publisher saying, Hey, we want to talk to Preston. We want to sign him. Now, a traditional publishing piece is awesome because they, they will publish your book. They'll get it out there in distribution. They'll market with you and for you publicity, do all kinds of great things on it. That's what I've been hoping and praying for. But remind I told you that I didn't want to get ahead of God and I've been praying over these things. I made a decision. I said, I had the resources in my own power. Let's go do it. Then God comes back on Monday and says, no, wait a second, Preston, I want you to go this route. Mm. And so I had to go back. I lost some money in the deal and all that. But I knew that if I got out of that and moved forward, it was just a God intervention thing. Uh, but it was, again, Preston getting ahead yep. of God. And so I'm not perfect at it. Uh, but what it's doing in me and still being, I guess, relatively young, I, I'm still learning, Mike. I'm still, I, I haven't got all this figured out. That's right. I still don't. Uh, Even though I'm retired from a Fortune 500 company, even though I'm doing other things, I I still have to discipline myself and submit myself to the Lord and say, hey, what do you want? Yeah. Where are we going with this? And uh, I'm I'm attuned to that sometimes. And other times I'm really not. You know what I love about that? Then I just left
0: a leadership group this morning. What I love about that is when we seek wisdom and we seek out others and we seek godly wisdom, It grows humility in our lives and humility is such a great um, picture for people to go, oh, so that's what being a Christ follower looks like, you know? And I don't know if, I don't know if, if you don't seek, you will ever be humble because you think you know everything.
1: Yeah. You know, the humility is a, a, boy, what a, what a big topic and and big subject to chat about Uh, What happened with me and the humility on that is I realized that I needed a circle of people around me, an inner circle uh, that would uh, not only hold me accountable, but help me provide, uh, help provide advice, direction, thoughts. Uh, so I've done a few things. I'm I'm part of an accountability group, small circle uh, or small group thing. Uh, but the other thing I instituted about a year and a half ago, which I've I've really enjoyed, was creating this thing called a personal advisory board. And uh, so I've solicited. I had six people on there originally, and they're they're all walks of life. Uh, and the idea is this, is I was launching my book. I, I didn't want to become, I, I don't want to become, uh, and that's my personality. I, I think I mentioned that earlier. I like the affirmation. Yep. Uh, I want to pursue fame, uh, be recognized and all things. And I knew that that was not right for me. So I needed some people in my life to keep that, help me keep those guardrails in place. Uh, I solicited people and editor that are on the board that have been where I want to go. Yeah, so they good. have experience in that. Uh, just real quick, I, I got a guy that was a mentor of mine at Coke, uh, and he is a former Washington Redskin, played for Joe Gibbs, and, and uh, has a Super Bowl ring. Uh, you know, I talked to him once a quarter. Uh, I talked to all of them for one, once a quarter for, for board things. Uh, I have my former pastor from Fellowship Church up in Knoxville uh, that's on the board. I have another guy that's a, a consultant in healthcare that I did the CLC program with, that Christian Leadership Concepts or christ Lake Communities now. Uh, I've got three women on the board now, uh, which is really, really good. I, I uh, value the diverse thinking. Uh, I think a lot of times as men, uh, there are some things we need to keep our guardrails around, but man, there's some really talented female women leaders in the marketplace. And so I've got uh, uh, one Dawn, she's fantastic, a Coca-Cola form executive that's gone out and has published a book, uh, coaching, speaking, training, doing d for some companies in Atlanta. Uh, that's that's good stuff. I have another young lady up in Wisconsin that's on the board that has done this book publishing thing, and she's been supportive along the way. And another that was at Coke that was a confidant of mine that I've pulled in. So got a number of people. And what I do, Mike, just real quick on this to let people know that personal advisory board, you may have seen that. You may have read it in the Wall Street Journal. You may have seen it in career planning. It's real. Yeah. And I can send them a note about what's going on. And then I sit down with them individually for 10 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes, once a quarter and they all bring me a certain perspective they ask me questions all from their point of view uh and it's just awesome to have a, a a tribe walking with you through that that are interested in you will pour into you for that
0: you know in the the beautiful part and if we ever get it you're able to lean into wisdom you could never get any other way and you're able to lean into their their life experiences their what they've seen mm-hmm. and man and it's all accessible If we will humble ourselves and go, okay, I need to, I need to ask this. I need to say this to somebody. You also say, and you give it. And let me say this too. In the chapter, you give a great grid on deciding that's really, really good (laughs) that, that people will love. Mm -hmm. But one of the other things you say a discipled leader does is they involve others. Um, and they love these leaders, love. They love God and love others with all they've got. And as a leader, they give up without giving up. Mm. Talk to me about how indispensable love is to a disciple leader as they lead. Uh, uh,
1: There's a, a Christian singer, and i think his name was don francisco i mean mm. that nobody's gonna mm. remember that name oh, but don God, francisco remember back in name. the day holy uh, moly great great uh, great stuff but I, I remember one of the lines he he uh, that really formed started forming my theology and understanding of the lord he said love is love is not a feeling it's an act of your uh your word mm-hmm. it's an action bob goff says is uh, an author he says love does yep. Uh one of the most uh, i think it's so interesting mike that uh, if you look at 1 Corinthians 4, uh, what is it, 13, 4 through 8, that love passage, that love passage is typically only read at weddings. That's right. Only read at weddings. Uh, what if we went back and looked at that and said, here's what love is. Love is patient. It is kind. Uh, one that it's in there that hits me is love's not irritable. And mm. Preston Poor can be mm. one of the most irritable guys in the in the world. But Paul paints this picture of what love is and can be. And so the question is, do I have the ability, of those attributes, am I leaning in as the Lord working in me and through me to love other people? Uh one of the exercises I mentioned in the book about love uh toward other people, uh, on that is to take that passage and where it says love, take the word love out and put your first name in That's there. Right. That's good. Are are you doing those things? And uh that'll start to open up your eyes a little bit. And so loving others and sacrificing what I want to help other people, as I mentioned, help them in their career, help them develop, help them be successful, um, encourage them, help them reach their potential. That's how you love people in the workplace. You really and do. You,
0: and you never go wrong doing that. Yeah. If you fail at that, you really
1: never fail. Do you, you don't, uh, you know, but I, I also want to, I, I think this might be a good time. This is something that's on my heart too. Uh, Mike, and I don't know if your listeners have experienced this, you may have had a believer in the workplace that was a really good people person, did some of these things I'm mentioning, but they didn't deliver results. That's right. That's a good <laughs> and word. I've seen, I've seen that case more often that if you don't deliver results and you do have that faith, God's working in something there, but they're typically not around very long or they lose credibility in the workplace, uh, and those things. And so, uh, it's so important to help deliver those results, but it's not, it's the, the question is not what you're doing. It's how you do it. Mm, mm. It's not what you're doing. It's how you do it. And that's one of those things that came to me at Coke is right. Uh, when they do their reviews every year it was like, you know, it wasn't necessarily what you accomplished, though. We want you to help us get to those goals. It's the, the stories you had to tell about how I did that and the, how pe- people will always remember how you treated them. Not necessarily what you did together. Uh, that's an old story from, I think, James Dobson from Focus on the Family years ago. I remember hearing, hearing him just to uh, abbreviate his story. He goes into his high school and he sees his, or it was college, high school, whatever, and he sees his uh, tennis trophies. He was a tennis player and uh, went there for a reunion or something like that. He saw that they were cleaning out the, the uh, display case where those trophies were, and his tra- uh, trophy was in the trash can, right? He accomplished something. Uh, nobody really remembered that necessarily. His trophy was in the trash can, but I venture to bet uh, they probably remember uh, James Dobson and, uh, mm. and the, probably the way they, he treated people against that. So, I love that.
0: So let me ask you this question. How do we love as a discipled leader, but also have to deliver some hard things sometimes? Sometimes the best thing for somebody is it's not going to work here. How mm. do we balance that love for them as people but also the duty we have. And I love that you hit on that. I think you're right on it. And I think that's a struggle, you know, Mm -hmm. because we're like, okay, is that loving to put somebody on a 90 day or to move somebody on or to have a very tough coaching conversation with them? How do you balance that as a disciple leader?
1: Uh, You have dignity and respect for that individual dignity and respect you value them and you respect them. Uh, another story I I and a bad decision I made again I, I've made a bunch of bad decisions so I think that's a, <laughs> how you get wisdom sometimes you walk through these things and you learn from them uh but I I needed to hire somebody up in the New England market and there weren't many candidates and actually nobody applying for the job and so there was somebody that was working for uh our bottling partner up there uh in another group and uh, I asked around everybody told me not to hire that individual. Guess what I did? I hired that individual. Mm, mm. Now that individual over time, I thought, Mike, that I could shape, form, uh get this person on the right path. Not trying to make them me, but I felt like that that they had the raw materials. Over a year's time frame, uh, the bowling partner uh kept calling me saying, Hey, we're not getting from this individual what we need, but they're not performing to our level of expectation. Uh, and then things started falling on me. And so I started having to have these conversations with that individual. I'm going to pause for a minute. This phrase comes to mind. Feedback is a gift. Have you heard that before? I have. Yeah. I don't like that. Honestly, this might be heresy to people listening on the phone. I think there's value in feedback. I think there's value in uh, honest, transparent conversations about performance but I've had feedback used so many times against me Mm -hmm. uh, in a situation where somebody was trying to strike back or trying to, uh, I remember a manager closing their office door when I was sitting there with them. And the individual looked at me and says, I don't want you to say a word. Here's what I think. And here's what you've done. And I want you to go correct this. Now get out of here kind of thing. Like that uh, was there dignity and respect in that conversation. Mm -hmm. I might've been wrong in some of that stuff, but it goes back to the, how we treat other people to tie a loose end on that story about the, the individual that I hired, you know, I, I had to put her on a, a PIP, a performance improvement plan. And to have somebody cry on the other end of the phone while you're doing that uh, and to actually manage them out of the system to, to move them on to another role uh, or another opportunity, it's very, very hard. And uh, but you have to make you have to make those decisions sometime. I made a bad decision again, had yep. to work through all of that, and then had to make the decision aligned with my leadership that, that that was the right decision. That individual wasn't a great fit for that role, and so let's help that individual find something else, which that individual actually did inside the company, and I think ultimately left. But those are hard things, so yep. it shouldn't shut just because we're. Uh, <laughs> Well, just because we're Christians, and, and also I had somebody else to tell me that uh, human, re- good human relations doesn't mean you just let people run over you. Mm. Uh, in circumstances like that, you have to know where people are, their performance, do your very best to help them achieve the things they need to. If they're not, then that's where you consider, is this the right fit for us? And that's the old Jim Collins, get the right people on the bus. Uh, and that individual was not right, not right fit. And I had to make that decision and had some tough conversations. I remember years ago with the work I did with the Falcons, I had a chaplain there, uh,
0: James Trapp would tell me that's a long story, but he always said, I sit down with the coaches the night before the final cuts. And he said, they grieve over cutting wow. these kids yeah, because yeah. a lot of them, that is all they have. And he reminds them through a, through a story about how he came to know Christ. You're not their God, you're just their coach. That's and right. you doing that, might be the most loving thing you could do is getting them where they need to be. And as a disciple leader, you know, you've been praying for them. You've been loving them. You've been leading them and pouring into them. There's a piece that comes though, I thought was really, really good. You talked about a disciple leader believes they take God at his word. And as a leader that causes them to cultivate God confidence How did you learn through the years to take God at his word that he truly isn't going to leave? We'll just take that last scenario. He's not going to leave these people out on an island by themselves. He's not forgotten them just because they don't work with you. How did you, what was the process for you, Preston, learning to take God at his word through the years?
1: Again, it goes back to my uh, surrendering and trying Mm. (laughs) God not trying and gotten in a wrong, a wrong way. It was like, okay, Lord, I'm going to hand this over to you. Uh, I pray that you lead me in the right direction. Uh, you show me what to do. Uh, will you intervene somewhere? Those are things that I can't do. He knows so much more than I do. Uh, and so it was really a, a journey of faith for mm. me. Mm. Um, and it's that releasing and letting go and letting God do things in my life. Uh, you know, Jesus. Jesus is not a genie. He's not a genie. Uh, I'm not going to him with my three wishes and asking him, hey, here's the three things I want. Uh, it's more of it's. I want you I want the listener to understand from my perspective, this discipleship thing we're talking about is about a relationship and about a That's fellowship. It. And, uh, you know, when Jesus says, and I read that this morning, I think I was in, uh, I forget which gospel I was in, but I was reading about Jesus washing uh, feet and saying, hey, I, just as I've done to you, you do to others and uh, other things about being a friend of his, you know, friend,
0: mm-hmm. you
1: know, how, how can I be a friend to the Lord and how can he be a friend to me? So th- those are some things I think, uh, Mike, as you go through that uh, and understanding about how do you grow that God confidence, it's, it's, it's a building of faith. And it's funny, I I remember reading a quote from Mother Teresa. Uh, She said something to the effect, I'll probably butcher this, but uh, check me on it. Uh, She said something to the effect that if God showed us exactly what what was going to happen, we wouldn't need faith. That's right. We wouldn't need faith. If there was absolute clarity. Uh, We wouldn't need that at all. And so, uh, you know, it's an adventure. That's the fun Mm -hmm. part on this whole thing. Uh, That's the kind of my mindset. Okay, God, what are we doing today? Or where are we going? Who are we going to see? What are the opportunities ahead of me? Uh, And Lord just use me. And I don't know what every day looks like. I still have, I still have a vision. I still have a plan. uh, uh, But it's all done under his submission, his authority, leaning in him, hoping and knowing that he will strengthen me if I trust him.
0: How contagious is that God confidence Not only to the people you lead, but even in your own family, as your kids have watched you right where you're at right now. I mean, you're taking a step of faith Mm -hmm. into something you feel like God's called you to do. How contagious has that been to those around you?
1: So. Recently retiring at the Coca-Cola Company, I was it was I was so humbled, Mike, and honored. I had roughly 25 people in a room there at the Coca-Cola Building and Plum Street Cafe, which is a restaurant that, that they've created there in the, the middle of the headquarters. And uh after reception and things like that, everybody gathered around me in a big circle and my family was there. So my wife Carla, my son Ben, and my daughter Caroline are all there. And everybody had a chance to go around and share mm. uh, a perspective. And, uh, and it was also fun because I had a chance to pour it back into them. It wasn't about me, uh, uh, just soaking all up and saying, Hey, I'm retiring. This is my moment. It was like, okay, I want to affirm them as well. But you know, the one common denominator, common theme that happened in all that was that Preston, we saw you live out your faith in the workplace and we saw you, how you put your family first, uh, looking at your kids and your wife and <laughs> amazing family that you have. Uh, thank you for that. I had one, I had one, one of my uh, former guy who used to work with me and a peer look at my family and say, thank you for sharing Preston with us. And they wouldn't have said that early on, but I think in the second half right of my career that happened. Now, why did I take you down that path? Because my kids, my kids, more valuable than anything, Mike. They got a chance to hear that. Mm-hmm. And my hope and prayer for them is that they are uh, from a legacy perspective. That they, they get that, that if we trust the Lord, if, if our relationship is about him and not necessarily the success that the world brings, what do we do significantly and how do we lean into him? God, there's just so much in that, so much value, so much uh, something, so much worthwhile purpose, meaning, calling, all those things that come out of it. So I share that with you because uh, as my God confidence grew over time, not only the people around work see it, they expressed it back to me. My kids, I know, hopefully they saw the transformation happening. My wife did uh, as well. Still not perfect. Still got a long, long way to go. But for them to hear that affirmation was like, you got you, you to have a chance where these two worlds crossed and overlapped for a little bit. And they, they heard some things about dad that they might be inspired by. And I love that.
0: You know, it was so good to unpack that, because I think all of us want to be a Christian leader. But when we begin to discover what it means to be a discipled leader, what it means to be a leader who is seeking God daily in the decisions and in the work and in the, the minutia of what we do, I think we really become the leader that God created us to be. Thank you so much, Preston, for helping us On our journey. Boy, I hope this is helping you. I hope this is adding value to you, putting tools in your leadership toolbox to help you be the leader that God created you to be. What a fun summer we've had. If this helps you, number one, I hope you're a subscriber. If you haven't hit pause, go subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And then if you could do me a favor and just share it with a friend, share it on social media. It helps people that don't know about the podcast find their way to it. And secondly, it helps us keep getting great guests like we've been getting. So I hope you will do that. And uh, anytime you leave ratings and reviews, it's always super helpful. Thanks again for joining us today. In our next episode, we get to sit down with a gentleman who, when I interviewed him, was in the middle of a great career at a university he had been with for years, but since the interview has been named the athletic director at a great D1 university, Moorhead state. And his name is Kelly Wells. What a journey, what a story. I think it's going to inspire you. I think it's going to push you and I think you're going to love it. So thanks again for joining today. And until we meet again, go be the leader and that you were created to be in the space and place God put you. I can't wait to see you soon. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.